Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the rotten orphans that we despise. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 1999's Annie from the wonderful world of Disney. Ooh. It's about the music audiences around the world have cherished for a generation. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. It's about a little girl with hope in her smile and the uncanny ability to melt the heart of even the most scrupulous billionaire. Okay, so this movie is one that I have been really, really excited to talk about basically since we started the show. Um, Audrey, would you agree? Yes. Yeah. This is one of those movies that kind of feels like a collective unconscious memory more than a lot of the other ones. Yeah. That we talk about because no one ever really talks about this movie, but ever we love this movie. Um. Yeah, we... As you'll find out, we have no clue why we know this movie as well as we do. Yeah, we do not own it, and yet we know every word. Well, not every word, but, like, every lyric, basically. It's confounding. We don't know why we know it. But we do know every word. And we're grateful. So, with that in mind, are you ready for the facts? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Annie premiered on ABC on November 7th, 1999, kicking off the holiday season hardcore because this movie is one of those movies that's set at Christmas time for no reason other than for uh, vibes. I mean, is anything set at Christmas for a reason other than the vibes? I mean, sometimes there's a Christmas pageant involved. Sometimes it's like grandma's home for the holidays or whatever. Right, but I feel that Annie is set at Christmas with integrity and (laughs) purpose. All right. All right. Uh, (laughs) Logic behind why it's set at Christmas aside. (laughs) Annie premiered on ABC on November 7th, 1999. Once again, we're not doing video this time. We should also state uh, because we're still on vacation. We're getting ahead because we have a very busy month coming up. um, And you would not want to see... You don't want to see doing. this. It is setup. not aesthetically pleasing. No. At all. It is dark, dank, damp, and dirty. <laughs> Audrey's mic is on top of a suitcase, on top of a blanket, in between two <laughs> pillows. It's bad news bears. It is kind of bad news bears. But anyway, <laughs> I believe the content thrives when the video cameras are off personally. So whatever. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, getting back into the movie. It was directed by Rob Marshall, not Gary Marshall, Rob Marshall, who before this movie had only been a choreographer and was known for choreographing the 1997 Cinderella. A big recurring theme in the existence of this movie is that they really wanted to follow up on the momentum of Cinderella because it was like, as we know, as we talked about in our episode, it was like a wildly successful made-for-TV movie, the one with Brandy and Whitney Houston and like Jason Alexander and all those people. 
Um, and so they were trying to kind of ride on the coattails of that movie in this scenario. So I uh, discovered something kind of interesting about Rob Marshall being assigned the role of director for this movie. It's from the Wikipedia page for the movie. I'm just going to read it. Um, so this is just all a direct quote. ABC began work on Annie following the success of Cinderella. Although the stage musical Annie had already been adapted as a film in 1982, the film was considered to be a critical and commercial failure. Producers saw remaking the musical, as in like the producers of this movie we're talking about, saw remaking the musical as an opportunity to rectify the previous adaptation's errors. They enlisted Cinderella's choreographer, Rob Marshall, to direct, and they made the orphans ethnically diverse, which I believe is a bit of a reach, but however, that's what they said. The producers were both so impressed by Rob's work throughout Cinderella that he, they like really wanted him to do uh, Annie. And he was like, I'm not a director. I'm a choreographer. I don't know why you're even offering me this movie. I don't know anything about it. And then when he finally agreed to direct it, Disney executives didn't want him to do it. And then basically the producers were like, we're not going to do it unless Rob does it. And so that's how we got it. And the really interesting thing is that this was the first musical he directed, but he went on to direct 2004 Chicago, which won Best Picture, which was like a huge win for movie musicals. And he's also directed Mary Poppins Returns, Into the Woods, Nine, the upcoming Little Mermaid movie that's been like delayed a thousand times because of COVID. And last but not least, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. So... This was the musical that kicked off this guy's career, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and he has definitely a signature visual style that ties in directly with his choreography that is really beautiful, but it's super identifiable. Like, if you are somebody who's choreography-minded, you can just tell when it's Rob Marshall. Yes, you can. And it's really fun to watch this movie because, especially during, like, the ensemble numbers, you can just totally tell... It's like the prince is giving a ball plus the I think I'm going to like it here thing in Annie. Like you can just totally tell it's choreographed by the same person, but like in a fun way. Okay, so now moving on to the producers. There was this producing duo that uh, made this movie really happen. Their names were Craig Zaydan and Neil Maron, Marin, whatever. And they were the two main producers or like kind of one of the duos behind 1997 Cinderella. But since then, they've also worked together to produce Hairspray, Chicago, Footloose, The Bucket List, um, Jesus Christ Superstar Live, Peter Pan Live, Hairspray Live, The Wiz Live, and Sound of Music Live. Um, also, they produced Drop Dead Diva and Smash. Um, and some of those, like, not all of their credits overlap, but, like, the vast majority of their credits overlap. Um, and honestly, hats off to them because the stuff that they've made has been really, really great. And then we have Chris Montan, who is known for being an executive music producer in Disney movies. So basically from Pocahontas on, he's been the executive music producer. So like Moana, Finding Dory's Utopia, The Good Dinosaur, Inside Out, Frozen, literally every single Disney feature he has been involved with, which is really cool. Lit. Very lit. The screenplay for Annie was written by Irene Mackie, who this woman seems to have an extremely sweet job. So she is 
Well, there's good parts and bad parts, but she wrote the original screenplay for Hercules, the movie, and she wrote all of like, or was a writer at least, on all of the Hercules spinoff show, also the Lion King spinoff show. She wrote the screenplay for Brave. She wrote the teleplay for Peter Pan Live, and she's writing the screenplays for the upcoming Hercules live action movie and Hunchback of Notre Dame live action movie, and she wrote the 2019 Lion King screenplay which to me I'm like wait isn't that the exact same thing as the original Lion King screenplay I'm not totally sure uh (laughs) clearly not um is it different that is a movie I refuse to see but I feel like the screenplay is literally the same thing it's just it's like it must not be I think it's it must be slightly altered (laughs) they had to write a new a new script probably a little bit but I'm pretty sure that Brave um had a different writer originally, mm-hmm. and um, she got right. the boot, right. essentially. But it would appear, from what I've heard and what I've seen, that her original ideas for Brave were so much better than what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and Was Irene the original? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, even if she didn't single... Oh, Brenda Chapman is the OG. Okay, got it. So Irene was the one that they called in basically to clean up the mess in the end. Yeah, plus the others. Got it. I guess. Okay, well, good context to know. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about that someday. So the musical itself was written by Charles Strauss, who was the composer of Bye Bye Birdie, Applause, and Annie. Um, Martin... Sharnan was the person who came up with the idea for doing Annie the Musical. He directed it and he wrote the lyrics for it. And he was also, interestingly, one of the original Jets in West Side Story on Broadway, which I thought was cool. And then last but not least, we have Thomas Meehan who wrote the book for Annie, but he also wrote the book for The Producers, Hairspray, Young Frankenstein, and Crybaby. So... Like, background, like, Annie was a comic first. Yeah, Yeah. so Annie was adapted from a comic strip, and I do have some more information about that down the line, but there was a lot of IP involved in this whole thing. But there is some interesting history as to why this show was even made that we'll get to right before we break, Um, but just keep that in mind. We will return to that history. Okay, so, plot synopsis. A little orphan girl catches the attention of a kind man named Mr. Warbucks, Daddy Warbucks. Excuse me, his name is Daddy, thank you. Who wants to adopt her, but the cruel, strict orphanage owner has a scheme to keep Annie and her reward money. Um, yeah, that does pretty much accurate. Yeah, pretty much. Um, taglines, we have two. The first one is, Disney makes the classic musical more magical than ever. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, the music, the memories, the magic. Bad. It's just like it's not about Disney. Annie. It's about Disney. Disney and magic. That's it. But fine, I suppose. Um, okay, so now getting into this cast, the adults in this movie. I mean, the casting is ruthless, to be honest. But let's start with Alicia Morton as Annie. Alicia, Alicia, we don't know. She has a grand total of seven IMDb credits, and the last one was from 2006. And from what I could tell, she now resides in Gonzales and works as a veterinarian technician in nearby Prairieville, Louisiana. So she got out of that child star uh, shithole. So good Good for for her. her. She's making good money. Truly good for her. 
Um, and then next up we have Kathy Bates as Miss Hannigan. Kathy Bates is truly that bitch. She's best known for Misery, Titanic as Molly Brown, Dolores Claiborne, American Horror Story, About Schmidt, Midnight in Paris, The Blind Side, Fried Green Tomatoes. She's one of those people that has been working forever and is really, really um, just delightful and like very compelling in anything that she's in. Mm-hmm. You've definitely seen her and stuff. Um, next up, we have Victor Garber as Oliver, a.k.a. Daddy Warbucks. He is best known for Argo, alias Titanic, Legally Blonde. And he has also just been playing roles in things for like a million years. But he also was in Power, Tales of the City, DC Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash, Web Therapy, uh, Charlie's Angels TV series. And he is one of our favorite um, men. There are no straight men in leading roles in this movie, which is why it's a comfort movie. Yeah, but we didn't even know that. We didn't even understand that as children. But it's just, it doesn't need to be said. It doesn't need to be explained. Nope. This is something babies understand. (laughs) It's like that Beyonce line, like even the babies know it's there. Yeah. Tough love. That's us, but with gays. I want to know why Daddy Warbucks is canonically bald. And I should have looked that up, but I didn't. It's got to be the comic. But like, why? Ask the comic artist. I'm pretty sure that man shaved his head for this movie. It did not look like a bald cap. I mean, would we expect any less? Would we expect any less? Okay. Next up, we have Audra McDonald. The Audra McDonald as Grace. Audra McDonald is a legend icon and star, and she is primarily known as a Broadway actress. She has won six Tonys and originated roles in Ragtime and Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Um, And she's a really interesting figure for a lot of reasons, but I'm just going to read this little excerpt from her Wikipedia page. And just warning, warning, we're going into the musical theater depths for a second, but I feel like it's really worth it. So Audra's performances as Carrie Pipperidge in Nicholas Hitner's 1994 revival of Carousel and Lizzie Curry in Lonnie Price's 2007 revival of 110 in the Shade made her the first black woman to portray those traditionally white roles in a major Broadway production. Of her groundbreaking work in encouraging diversity in musical theater casting, she said in an interview for the New York Times, I refuse to be stereotyped. If I think I am right for a role, I will go for it in whatever way I can. I refuse to say no to myself. I can't control what a producer will do or say, but I can at least put myself out there. So I feel like, well, A, that's just really cool in general, but B, it kind of makes her like the perfect candidate to be in this movie because like the whole thing with Cinderella's success was that they were like diversity, like diversity was like the whole thing about it. And that's part of what made it really cool. But I kind of feel like one of the downfalls of Annie is that they like didn't fully follow through with that all the way. Like, yeah. flashback to them being like we made the orphans ethnically but diverse it wasn't even like their true priority the way that it was Whitney and Deborah's right. yeah right because so. they really really cared and yeah. again we're talking about Whitney Houston and Deborah Martin Chase who were like really the ones driving Cinderella when it happened um but Audra McDonald also you may know her from uh she was in the Beauty and the Beast remake she was Mother Abess in Sound of Music Live in which she sings Climb Every Mountain with conviction to make me give a shit about that song which honestly is really impressive um, she also was in private practice a raisin in the sun the gilded age and the good fight 
Okay, next up we have Alan Cumming as Rooster. I fucking love Alan Cumming. Um, he's best known as playing the role of the MC in Cabaret, both in like a recorded performance version and like in revivals and in the show. It, it, that's like his playing himself role basically is the vibe that I always get. Um, he's also known for being an X-Men, Son of the Mask, Josie and the Pussycats, as my favorite character in that movie. GoldenEye, he's in Schmigadoon, which is like that show. It's like the musical theater parody show. Kristen Chenoweth is also in it, which we'll get to later. Um, he was also in Instinct. He's in The L Word, which I can't wait for because I'm currently watching that show for the first time. And he was in Courage the Cowardly Dog. And basically he just does whatever the fuck he wants. He also was in Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Um, but he also started just for fun and for knowledge. He's a theater actor, but he started Club Coming, which is like a nightlife slash performance venue that's super close to where Audrey and I used to live. Um, and we've both been extremely physically close to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lived on his street. Yes, we did. And yeah, I've seen him get his mail. I've seen him walk the dog, mm-hmm. all that. He is a truly delightful person, in my understanding. Next up, we have Kristen Chenoweth as Lily St. Regis. And obviously, you know Kristen Chenoweth because she originated the role of Glinda in Wicked. Um, but she also was in Pushing Daisies, Hit and Run, Bewitched. She's in Schmigadoon, Bojack Horseman. She's in a bunch of Hallmark movies. She was on Glee, Glee where she's saying, maybe this time. Literally. And everyone was like, oh, this is the best song I've ever heard. I did my Glee rewatch roughly a year ago, <laughs> and they keep bringing her back. Like, every time you think she's gone, the next season rolls around, and there she is again. I mean, can you blame them? Like, no, she's amazing. No, but she is. It, um, it can was, you blame them? No. <laughs> That's it. She's bookable and she's talented. Okay. And now, okay, so I just wanted to name two of the orphans specifically because a lot of them, like, aren't active anymore as actresses or actors. Um, But Sarah Hyland of Modern Family fame is Molly, which is, like, the littlest orphan. And then Lillane, a.k.a. Miranda from Lizzie McGuire, is also in there. So that's just, like, fun to see. Yeah. It's like an Easter egg almost. And then, so Audrey told me that I should look up the woman who busts out during the show within a show and sings NYC. Mm-hmm. NYC. And it's like really high for no reason. Um, <laughs> technically, her role is star to be. But the person who plays this role is Andrea McArdle. And oh my God, she was the little girl who originated the role of Annie on Broadway, which is really cool to me. Um, I had no idea. And basically she's best known as being like a touring Broadway leading lady. She's played Belle in Beauty and the Beast. She's played like Marion and Music Man. It's like all those sort of roles she just does, which is really cool. She also was on Land All My White Children. Lady. Random White Lady, correct? <laughs> Pretty um, much. <laughs> yes. Like good-hearted like ingenue, but slightly older. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Perceived as smart because they have brown hair. (laughs) Yes. Smart coded because they have brown hair. Um, And then on top of that, interestingly, she was also sort of like an on-hand dancer slash performer for a lot of Disney specials. So like the weird 90s and 80s, like Michael Eisner era, like Disney Christmas celebration, VHS tapes, like that sort of stuff she was in. And she also 
similarly did the same kind of thing for like late night shows and just like stuff around LA where they needed like singer dancer types. She was just like on call. All right. (sighs) Okay. So as far as budget, we can't really know because it was not released in theaters. Um, So we're not sure. However, um, there were 26.3 million viewers during premiere, during the premiere. Um, Not as many as Cinderella, but pretty close, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. The overall worldwide gross, we simply cannot know. We don't know. Um, there is, and also for the same reason, there is no critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but here are some random takes about this version of it. From Annie. critics, though. From critics. So the first one is, it's tough to ruin tunes like you're never fully dressed without a smile. I think I'm going to like it here, and it's a hard knock life. Under Marshall's direction, they become the show stoppers they should be. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one is, the best that can be said is that minus commercials, it's only an hour and a half. (laughs) Brutal. Listen, it probably wasn't for you anyway. Definitely not. Like, if you're not enjoying it's on you. Yep. You're not not the audience. Um, There's an audience score of 53%. Um, And here's some audience takes. The first one is... Honestly, there's nothing really wrong with it except for one problem. Annie, she's a fucking bitch who sings about how her parents are coming back. There's a reason you're an orphan. They left you because you're a whiny, ginger, dumb, Mariah Carey-sounding bitch. I hope you never get adopted. Fuck you. (laughs) Who the hell wrote that? Someone was, like, really not okay in the Rotten Tomatoes review section. That is not credible. The second one is, haha, good when you're 10, unrealistic when you're older. (laughs) (laughs) And the third one is, I always sing the song. (laughs) The Rotten Tomatoes uh, bounty was truly plentiful this time around. (laughs) Ha ha, good when you're 10, unrealistic when you're... Also important to say that both of the yours are written wrong. Yeah. Um, I just got a lot of amusement out of that. And yeah, don't, don't take these audience reviews as our... No. Opinion. No. I just thought they were funny. Okay. So normally we'd be like, what was the pop culture buzz in this moment? But I thought, because I was really um, curious slash confused when I was watching the movie about like why this movie exists. Like why, why is FDR in it? Like why is it in Send the Depression? Um, And so here are just some things that I found online. I'm just going to read this stuff. So again, back to Wikipedia for this one. So the... Okay, so basically, one of the musical creators was really interested in working on Annie and turning it into a musical because he, so it was the 60s when they made the musical, and it was like Vietnam War, Nixon era, very like shady, unsettling times, and he kind of saw a parallel between their times and the Great Depression just as like an overall kind of bad bad time for people. And Meehan, who was one of the creators of the show, saw the character of Annie as a 20th century American female version of the titular orphan characters created by Charles Dickens in works such as Oliver Twist and David Copperfield with the mystery of Annie's abandonment and unknown parenthood as consistent with a strand of mysteries in Dickens' tales. So I think that that's really funny because it kind of feels like a super deep read on Annie. It feels like some shit that we would make up just Mm -hmm. like for fun. Um, But that's apparently where his head actually was at 
And then I found this article on Playbill talking about the history of the show. And I'm just going to read this little excerpt from it. In the spring of 1972, when Annie was beginning to be written, the Vietnam War was ongoing, Nixon was president, and the country was in an economic recession. As Meehan wrote in the New York Times shortly before Annie debuted on Broadway, there was a growing sense of cynicism and hopelessness among millions of Americans, including me. And it struck me that Annie could, in the musical, become a metaphorical figure who stood for innate decency, courage, and optimism in the face of hard times, pessimism, and despair. By the time Annie made it to Broadway, times had gotten better for America at large, and the musical became, in Meehan's words, a reflection of the current spirit of the country. One can see how this inspiration brought the musical's most successful song, The Optimistic and Hopeful, tomorrow. So... I have something. Please. There's, this is kind of random, but there's like a really interesting um, documentary. You can find it on YouTube about mm-hmm. the casting of the first Annie on Broadway mm-hmm. and really kind of in previews for Broadway. And like, I'm not even going to go into it, but it's super interesting and weird. And they basically like casted little girls at malls and shit like that. And really? then and then it eventually got serious. But yeah, it was like a like a countrywide search and like just rooms of little girls singing the sun will come out tomorrow and like how it's just creepy and like the way they announced who got the role was also very public. Like oh. it was like a bunch of girls lined up and then they said who got the role and then everyone else is like crying and like it's a disaster and then the one girl is really happy and Ugh. it's just weird. It's so so weird. Isn't it called tomorrow? I don't know. I don't remember. Wow. That sounds really interesting. I got to watch that. Yeah. Slash stressful. (laughs) Also, just a quick side note. Apparently, they tried to make a sequel to Annie. It was called Annie 2, Miss Hannigan's Revenge. And it opened at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. in December 1989. And everyone hated it. And they tried to fix it. And they couldn't, so they just let it go. But that means it got an out-of-town tryout, as they say in the in the musical theater biz, which I find just really funny. Okay, so now, things we remember from childhood. Audrey? It's so weird because I don't remember, I don't literally remember this in childhood. I know we watched it in childhood. I, I have it all memorized. I know every little, every shot of this movie is like in my head, but I don't remember why we watched it for the first time or anything. I do not know. I do remember watching it at Aaron and Julia's house, our cousin's house at one point. It was like a sleepover, hmm? <laughs> sleepover cinema perhaps. And because I, I very distinctly remember watching Easy Street in their basement. Um, and that's kind of all I have. Mm-hmm. But I remember always... So when I, okay, when I was a kid, I like always, you know, when you watch a movie and you're like, oh, which character is me? Like, which one do I yeah. feel like? Like I Lily Saint literally, yeah. Like I always <laughs> wanted to be like the bimbo or yeah. whatever. Or like, I was always like, oh, like the pink one or like the blonde one or whatever. And I have been on a long journey and I feel very represented by Miss Hannigan now. yeah. It's hard. When you're a little kid, you can't know that you're the Miss Hannigan. Or, like, you don't want to <laughs> accept that you're the yeah. Miss Hannigan. But then but eventually like, you realize that that's fun. Literally, I'm like, give me Ursula. Give me Miss Hannigan. Yeah. Give me... That's the fun role. Everyone. Who cares? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When we get to 
probably the if we have do an episode on lame is i will get into my uh my drama club history uh but yeah i used to get typecasted a lot and i would always get really like annoyed slash hurt by it but now i'm like wow i did not know what i was uh I was missing out but by not embracing that. You didn't get like fun ones like Miss Hannigan. No. Like it wasn't. No. Like it was like it was like ensemble crone. Yeah. Not even ensemble like ensemble old lady, not like fun old. No, bitch. Like it was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. I hated it. Um anyway, not today. Not, not today. today. Are we getting into that? So anyways, I cannot wait to talk about this movie. We have much to discuss, so if you want to rewatch it before you return for the second half with us, um, it's on Disney Plus. It moves at lightning speed. Breakneck speed. You literally will sit down to watch this movie, and like it'll be over before you even know it. Um, and you know how I feel about that, so I encourage you to watch it. Yep, we will be right back. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. back and we are talking about none other than 1999's made for tv annie starring victor garber kathy bates alan cumming audrey mcdonald christian chenoweth all of your faves and it is time to talk about it so audrey what do you have listed as a good thing okay so what are we appreciating Mostly what we're appreciating here is the casting that could not be stronger if they tried. It's quintessential 90s. Yes. It is um, win after win after win. <laughs> like we were saying, like as each new character enters, it's like, thank you. <laughs> it's like it's like you want to like clap when they when they walk on screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, because here's the thing, like, the story of Annie is so bare. It's bare enough in the show <laughs> that when you convert it now to, like, um, basically to, a, like, a TV movie, it's so sparse, and you're basically just waiting for each song to start. Yep. The story happens for, like, verbally for, like, five seconds, and then there's another song, and you're so happy the next song has arrived. But because of that, I have to say that the, the things I appreciate the most are the choreography, mm -hmm. the casting, mm -hmm. and 
the competence, the competent, competence, yeah, <laughs> competence of Rob Marshall in understanding how he wanted to shoot these songs. Yeah. It doesn't feel, we'll talk about it more, um, I'll talk about it more later, but as you guys know, I'm fed up. <laughs> I'm fed up with directors not knowing how to shoot musicals. Yes. Um, because it's a hot mess nowadays, and I feel like Rob Marshall had a great understanding of that craft, mm-hmm. and very, very smart of these producers to hire him as the director. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense to hire a choreographer as a musical movie director. Yes. Obviously, if they are clueless, don't do it. But mm-hmm. they understand movement, and that's that's what it's all about. Yeah. So that's that's my two cents. Also, I would like to add that the truth is, okay, I know, at least when I was, like, in high school and shit, people would always like disparage the music in Annie but the songs are undeniably amazing yeah they're so good they're so thoughtful they're so emotional the melodies are so good the arrangements are so good great syncopation yes they know they know about a downbeat in this thing there it's like lots of interesting rhythmic things it doesn't it there are no reprises for no reason like we were talking earlier today about how like in Lame is like they recycle the same five melodies over and over again, which is fine, except for the fact that there's like no logic behind what melody them. comes and where. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not consistent enough for it to be like intelligent seeming. Yeah. Annie is like a perfect example of an American musical. Agreed. Like st- a standard Yes. And I feel like people hated this show or like they hate the music because they don't like the vocal performance yes. of children, yeah. which Makes I sense. totally get. Yeah. Um, but and and I hate to say it, but Alicia is a little bit unbearable. She's shrill. She's really shrill. She's cute, but she's shrill. And Annie has always been shrill. It's in the grand tradition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like she did what she was hired she to do. She did what she had to do. But like Hearing, like, when you hear the reprises and it's, like, Audra nicely singing it, like, lightly, you're like, oh, yeah, this is what this song could sound like. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I wish this is what it sounded like. But the songs are so fucking good. What else do you have under your good column? No, like, that's it. That's it? Okay. I I basically had just written down in a million ways that the casting was good. Yes. Um... I really, okay, there's a lot of like good, bad things that I liked, but basically it boils down to, I love the bad backdrops, like the old school style, like this is in New York City, but like it's clearly like a painted wall. I loved those. Um, I loved the part where Victor Garber hangs up on the president theoretically when they're talking on the phone and he hangs up way too fast. Just like stuff like that was really amusing to me. When I was a kid, I thought that Rooster was, like, low-key cute. But watching it this time, I was like, oh, he's, like, intentionally grimy. Yeah. Like, he has a bad teeth-like flipper. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. (laughs) I had no idea. didn't, like, understand who Alan Cumming was. No, we did not. (laughs) No. So. But shout out to me in that age, at that age, for being, like, that's a cute person. I find that to be funny. That's kind of all I have for good. Yeah, I mean. I have one thought. Do you think that they 
would have considered Lindsay Lohan for Annie? No. Why? Because I watched the documentary and I know that... Oh, you mean for this movie, not yeah. the show. She wasn't, like, alive then. <laughs> um, do I think they did? Um, no, I just don't think but they like, did. But, like, do you think they would have? Or like, No, because she's too young then. No, she's not. Mm-hmm. Parent Trap was already out. She definitely was the right age. I don't think she could sing musical theater like that. Do I think she could do it? Yeah, I think she could do it, but I don't think... That it well, would be natural. <laughs> do you think that the whole point, and you might know this better because you watched that documentary, is the whole point that they always want, like, an unknown? It would seem that way. I don't know. I was just thinking, like, if it had been Lindsay. Well, clearly they did want an unknown. If yeah. they didn't want an unknown, they wouldn't have cast an unknown. Yeah. I just feel like, though, well, okay, maybe we should transition into the bad with this. Because what I was going to say is that I feel like if they had casted someone like Lindsay... Um, you would have felt even a tiny shred of attachment to Annie, the character, but you really don't in this version. No, you don't. But that's just mostly due to speed. I think just you they don't give you the time to care about her. <laughs> no, she also just doesn't really say a lot. No. What else do you have under your bad column? Um, I don't believe that Annie would beat up Pepper, given the chance. <laughs> Me too. She's like, do you want your teeth inside your mouth? You're not beating her up. No. She's beating you up. She is beating her up. Why is the cop so mad about dog licenses? <laughs> Leash and license? Um, why don't you just let her live? Like, she's a um, child. It's the Great Depression. Like, this sir, is a street urchin. You, like, please. There are bigger fish to fry, I promise. Yes. The chase scene with the cop is too long. <laughs> it's really long. It's like... A, it's like 10% of the movie's run time. 20 seconds too long. Yeah, like, it, it's not worth it. Like, it could have been shorter. Um, oh, Yeah. The, the character of Daddy Warbucks warms up far too quickly. I wrote that down too. Far, 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 <laughs> far too quickly. He's like, we always get boys. And then and then Grace is like, well, this year we got a girl. And he's like, okay. And then he, she watches him work for like 10 seconds. And then she asks him about New York City. And then he's fine. <laughs> and then he's literally like, I'm going to adopt you, Annie. Yeah. Like, I, it's too fast. And then two more things. First thing is that I find that the first half of the show hits way, 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 way harder than the second half. Mm -hmm. It's like a great setup and so many slamming songs in the first half. <laughs> yeah. And then the second half, you get this drop off in the rush to resolution that yeah. doesn't feel um, like earned or well-timed. It's just yeah. kind of happening. Yeah. Um, and it happens so fast. Like, I cannot emphasize that enough. It does happen really, really, really fast. And the, this, like, the logic of the last quarter. Bro. Is, um. Bro, don't get me started on not, FDR. Not really there. <laughs> but it's extremely fictional, so I guess that's fine. And it's also a musical, but. I want to know why they, like, don't talk about the fact that it's the Great Depression and she's, like, with a billionaire. Like, isn't he the problem? Like, isn't he one of the problems? Because he won't give his money away? Be like, yes. <laughs> Slash, 
setting up the $50,000 reward in the middle of the Great Depression just seems like especially barbaric. Just something that we're, they don't want us to think about. No, they don't want us to think about it, but we're thinking about it. I do think it's interesting what you were saying about the song Tomorrow being like hope in the 70s, like 60s, 70s, I guess, kind of both. That is very puzzling. (laughs) It is puzzling. I get it, though. I think maybe if I was like living then, I would also be happy about the song Tomorrow. I feel like the difference is, because I was kind of thinking about that too at that section. Wasn't everyone pretty disillusioned then? Like, and like very like, fuck the system. They definitely were. I feel like obviously we're in in a similar moment right now. That's why I bring it up because I'm like, would this song call me to patriotism or some shit? Like feeling good about the country. Like what could do that for me now? Literally, I swear nothing could do that for me now. The only thing, and this is what I was going to say, the only thing that could make me feel that way is if all of like, the corporations that are responsible for like 60% of like global warming, like committed in a real way to changing. And wrote a musical. No, just <laughs> and then turned it into a musical. And it's called Climate Cooling. It's called, I don't know. No. <laughs> I think I really feel like for, for me at least, and probably for a lot of other people our age, like, the reason why like tomorrow isn't like a promising prospect is because of global warming. Yeah. Like, like if, if yes, exactly. In the seventies, in the sixties, tomorrow would be, you know, at least we have the promise of tomorrow. Blah, right. Blah. But now it's like, well, we don't know what the fuck we have. So if we don't have tomorrow, yeah. what's the point of doing anything? You know Not what? Not to get depressing. I mean, we're getting depressing, cinema. but we'll move on. But, like, I do also just want to say, because we're kind of light on commentary for this movie anyway, like, I feel like one thing that comes up a lot, and I tend to get really annoyed when older people make this comparison, is when people are like, we all thought we were going to get bombed at any second. I'm like, yes. I think that and a million other exactly, things. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it could be a shooting. It could be a bombing. It yeah. could be terrorism. It could be the planet. It could be... Fires. Anything, you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, like, I remember I went to a family gathering like a couple months ago and you weren't there. Viruses. And, what? Sorry. Also viruses. <laughs> Let's not even speak to that. <laughs> Like, I went to this family gathering and I was like, like with a bunch of older people there and I was drunk, LOL. And I was like, when you guys were in your mid-20s, did you like think that everything was fucked kind of indelibly? And they were like, yeah. And then it got better. And I'm like, well, I don't know if it's going to get better in this scenario. Like, I really don't know. Guys, we're just vibing collectively. Like you listening to this, we are vibing. All we can do is vibe. Yeah. Well, that's not true. <laughs> but like in a general sense. In a general sense. <laughs> yes. Day to day, we're just trying to not get totally sucked into the void of what matters slash what doesn't matter slash nothing matters. <laughs> just thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> Clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. She goes, None. Oh my god, that's when Audra goes, stick up my chin and grin. She has that too. Oh my god. The way that we're using this as 
just what just happened is the essence of sleepover syndrome. <laughs> that is it. Really, my main things were structural. When um, like when when she randomly decided to go look for her parents based off of nothing other than her feeling inspired to sing, maybe, maybe it's a banging song as well. Um, that annoyed me. Also, when Rooster was like, "We're gonna murder Annie after we get her back," I was like, "Damn, bro." I, <laughs> I was like, "Okay." Um, and then there's literally President FDR there. You checked it's him. It's FDR, It's right? FDR. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like the New Deal and all that shit. Um, I found that to be very weird. Also, just one note in general that I was going to say to you, but then I didn't, is I feel like there is another parallel between Cinderella and this movie, which is that, like, the building at, or, like, whatever, like, the escalation towards the climax in Cinderella is when they put out the call for people to come and a try search. on the shoe. Yeah, and it's the same thing in Annie when they're yeah. trying to find the parents. Yeah, yeah. And that I found to be interesting. Okay, Audrey, problematic. So... She's whipping out the notebook and really looking at it. I feel that this is funny because it's not really... It doesn't really fit in this category, but kind of. If I was an orphan... With Annie back in these days, I would not be so cheery, happy, and pleased for Annie. I would be yeah. mad. I would be annoyed. I would not like her. I totally agreed. Also, I forgot to say, the way that she gets picked to be Daddy Warbucks' orphan makes literally no sense. It's just because she's in the office. It's That's just the only reason. The bizarre relationship, sort of, mm. that forms between... Daddy Warbucks and Annie from the from from Daddy Warbucks's point of view, like this, the way he sings about her, um, the things that are said, and the way he acts is like he pretty weird. Like proposes to her. Yeah, it's very it's very daddy daughter wedding vibe. <laughs> oh my god, you're so right. Yeah. What like, is that thing? It's like when you promise your purity or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. Yeah, it feels like that. And he's basically telling Annie that, like, you've made my life complete. You've, like, fixed my life. Like, putting way too much life pressure on on this little girl. He's like, I found it all in one little girl. my oyster, but where was the pearl? Okay, guys, I know we talk on and on and on and on and on about Victor Garber. It, the singing voice is not great, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. We can look past it. It's not so bad that I can't because he fits the part really well other than mm-hmm. that. So I don't know. And he doesn't sing that much, actually, mm-hmm. in solo form. He, well, OK, there's some really good moments with his singing because he, he makes good acting choices when yeah, he's singing. And that is like. I mean, it just shows you how great of an actor he is. <laughs> but, there, like, I remember that even, like, in high school a lot, there would be some people where they're not the best singer. But if you know how to sell it, you can totally pull off the performance. Yes. Like, it's... That's what he's doing. Yes, and that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- this has to do with the real life situation not the plot of the movie but the whole audra victor thing uh-huh um did we ever explain that i, I think, think that we, we did brought touch it up on in the it cinderella yeah episode i just reread about it if you want me to yeah. talk about it yeah 
So basically there was this whole situation where, so at the end of Annie, how you see it now on Disney plus Victor, not Victor, daddy, if you will, proposes to Grace, not in a very grandiose way, but like he technically does propose to her and then they get engaged. Um, And basically after they shot it, the Disney executives were like, I don't know about that interracial marriage, whatever, which to me, I'm like, you know, they probably like kissed in the original um, what they shot originally, yeah, like it was more clearly like a romantic proposal. Well, what they what they reshot didn't make it into the movie. What we saw was not a reshoot. Oh, because he well, forced it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, they tried to get him to reshoot a scene where it's like a different conclusion for them, where they don't get engaged. And I guess that the how Audrey explained it is that Victor like intentionally did a really bad job at it, so they like couldn't include it. So they're still engaged at the end, but they're not. They don't kiss. Yeah. But I'm thinking there had to have been a version where they did kiss. I kind of agree with you. But to me, it's confusing because... It literally looks like he just, like, gave her a piece of jewelry. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's very platonic looking so in the movie. platonic. <laughs> but I'm confused because, like, I know that the interracial relationships in Cinderella weren't white and black. Except for the fact that Victor Garber is, like, theoretically married to Whoopi Goldberg. Um, but, like... I feel like, again, it speaks to the absence of Deborah Martin Chase and Whitney that, like, that was allowed to become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but interesting. Gross. Just keep that in mind. Um, yeah, during the whole, like, beginning of the last third of the movie where it's, it's Daddy Warbucks, like, singing all these love songs to Annie and basically, like, begging her to, like, accept him, it just felt... Like it's just weird. the kind of thing weird that a creepy man would li- would watch and be like, I'm represented by this and like project meaning onto it that isn't <laughs> there. Yeah. But it's funny because when I was a kid, I didn't think a thing about it. Not at all. Same. Because when you're a kid, you can easily center yourself and you you understand, like you see the kid as a fully formed person. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You know that you think of yourself as a fully formed person mm-hmm. wherever you are in life, you know, mm-hmm. like in a way you believe yourself like you, you believe you that you're yourself. capable. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so I you it's funny how like you'll watch stuff like that where adults are having um, not necessarily like illegal inappropriate relationships with kids but just too much like they're putting too much on the kid but when you're a kid watching that you're just like wow like the trials and tribulations of being this child like I don't know yeah yeah like it's just like a day in the life yeah I (laughs) think also like because ever since I listened to Lolita podcast I like can't unnotice all of like the weird like pedophilic things that are like so baked into culture that you don't even notice and I feel like this is a really good example um yeah but we just accept it like it's like a part of like American iconography totally I mean this is like a billionaire and a literal girl orphan like could it be more Americana than that like it being um from a comic too yeah it's very American yeah. vibes. <laughs> I will say, though, the casting of Victor Garber, he is so fundamentally non-creepy. Yes. 
It's like the same thing with Legally Blonde. That's why it's such a gag when he's creepy yeah, and Legally you're just, Blonde. You're like, oh, I trusted you. Yeah, like you trust him inherently. So he never makes it seem actually creepy. But it's like, if you really listen to the words, you're like, what the fuck is <laughs> <Yeah>. this? <laughs> um, okay. So, okay. So, Audrey, we have to do our favorite last category. Is the this best. hard? The favorites and the least favorites. It is hard. Like, I don't even know that I believe my answers. I know, me too. But this is based purely on my, as we were rewatching my instinct then. Okay. So best song or like favorite song for me Mm -hmm. is a toss up between Easy Street Mm -hmm. and this seems random, actually. I don't even know if I believe this, but never fully dressed without a smile. (laughs) Those orphans go hard in that song. Wait, so when you say favorite song, do you mean the song itself or like the number? The song. Okay. If yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The song. Um both great songs. Yeah. Really great songs. Um I feel like I picked like the B side. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of did. Um I Okay, I'm just going to, I literally love all the songs, but from a personal perspective, if I had to sing any of them, I would pick Little Girls. Oh yeah, Little Girls. I love that song. It's so funny. It's so, um, like, weird. Great song. Little Girls. For me, personally. Okay, worst song? Um, I know what mine is. What song starts with I think? What is that? Same thing that I wrote. Think I'm gonna like it here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a I great. I think I'm gonna like it here. I wrote the same thing. It's the worst song. It needs. It has a purpose in the show. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get why it makes sense. There would be a number when she arrives at the mansion thing. I would say, sorry, the song itself is kind of ass, but the number is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, that leads me best choreo mm-hmm. for me. A tie between I think I'm going to like it here and NYC. Because NYC has the Broadway show, show within a show vibe. It's got great tap dancing and the overall blocking and choreography of that number is really well done. And the camera work in tandem with that is also great. Mm -hmm. And then as far as I think I'm going to like it here, duh. Like, yes, yeah, have you seen these maids? <laughs> have you seen these servers in the lobby, the foyer, doing their like, their like, um, what are they called? Like switch split leaps. Right. Like they're not messing around. Yeah. At all. My favorite choreography is in Hard Knock Life because of those buckets. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> the Wait, bucket we love choreography. The, Hannah and I love the. Row-wee-ho. It's a hard knock. Row-wee-ho. And they're like, they like ring out the stuff. It's so good. Um, I love that song. That's also, do we say favorite song? Yeah, okay. I also love It's a Hard Knock Life. Also, maybe, also, literally any of it I love. Um, okay, do you have your favorite line to sing? Um, There's so many. Okay, well, I... I kind of wanted to add to this, like, we should start writing favorite line to sing, but also, like, favorite line, like, spoken. Yes. Because my favorite spoken line is, the jig is up, rooster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the best spoken line. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't pick a favorite, li- like, specific line to sing, but it's the tomorrow reprise. 
Oh, yeah. The reprieve. The Audra reprieve. Yes. Yes. My favorite line to sing personally is NYC. <laughs> what is it about you? And then, you big, you loud, you tough. That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. I think she's been cooped up long enough. <laughs> also, I like, also, I like, we were singing this earlier. Uh, to think that I've lived here all my life and never seen these things. But again, also, some women are dripping with diamonds. Some women are dripping with pearls. Like, lucky me, lucky me, look at what I'm dripping with. Little girls. Like, if damn. You, if you want to feel really cursed, watch the Jane Lynch, Miss Hannigan numbers. Oh, my on God. YouTube. I think I've actually seen that before. <laughs> I love Jane Lynch, though. Oh, I love her, but it's wrong. Yeah. I feel like that was a very, like, Carol Channing-inspired yes, casting it choice. It's not yeah. giving what it's supposed to It give. was Carol, like, the, the 80s version of the movie has Carol Channing as a Hannigan. And in all of the reviews that I read, everyone was like, Kathy Bates is good, but she's not as good as Carol Channing. They casted Carol Burnett as Jane Lynch's mom on Glee. <laughs> That's kind of fierce. It was fierce, actually. <laughs> okay. What else do we have to say? Is that it? I think that's it. I mean... I would like to just say that to me, this movie is the ultimate sing-along movie. We were singing along when we watched yes. it. Um, and like, is it annoying for people who don't know all the words? Yeah. Yes. But like, sorry about it. There is a kind of magical element to this movie. Like when you let yourself buy into it, like the magic of not knowing where you come from and finding out what it is. And like also just like the hopefulness of being a child, like in general, like I do feel like this movie does capture a really potent level of that. But in general, this movie moves so fast (laughs) that you can't really savor any of it. But the numbers still hold up. They're amazing. The songs themselves hold up. And I just, I just, honestly, I hope everybody on this film had a, had a good time or at least a decent time. Yeah. Um, Because it's very fun to watch. It looked fun, especially for the dancers and like the performers. Mm -hmm. It seemed like they really got their life. And I'm like, I wish I was there. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Sometimes after watching movie musicals, I'm like, ah. But I wasn't there. <laughs> Even if I was just like a random crew person. Yeah. God. Sad. Okay. We have finally done Annie. I was really entertained and fed by this movie. Um, please give it a rewatch if you haven't already and let us know what you think. Very soon, if you live in Arizona, do first of all, ask yourself, do you live in Arizona? If the answer is yes, do you live close to Scottsdale? If the answer is yes, you can come see us do a live episode at the She Podcast Conference the weekend of October 14th. We've never done a live episode before, but we are doing it. So if you want to come see us, you are welcome to. And, and if we will be... As long as the episode goes well and everything sounds right, we will be using that episode and you all will hear it. Yes. But if it ends up poorly, then we won't. Then we won't. <laughs> uh, but hopefully it will. And it is uh, seasonal. So that's something yes. to look forward to. Um But anyway, we keep on trucking with our musical season. We are having a grand old time. And we hope you are too. 
Leave us a review. Leave us a review if you want. We will leave. We will uh, make you your 10 second song if you give us some criteria. People have really been slacking on the Maddie criteria. Maddie is the only taker and like. Maddie, like, come on. No, Maddie. No, sorry. Be fun. like Maddie. <laughs> I'm saying be like Maddie. Yeah. And that's it. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at toopingpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search sleepover cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tooping pictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema and that's really where the party is at. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Today we are talking. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. The corner of this pillow is in my line of sight. (laughs) Well, what do you want? Just adjust that corner. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.